Hello and welcome. This is the Weekly World Podcast, coming to you live from the sea to the Anida. My name is Warren. With me is my wife, Carly. And don't call it a reboot. We're back, though. We're back making more episodes. And Carly, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. So I was thinking about a topic that we could talk about that you and I both hold near and dear to our hearts. And I think one thing that you and I both really, really like is horror video games. Now, I don't know how we started watching these or, you know, playing these in some cases too, but it's just so much fun. And I just wanted to ask you, so in your opinion, what goes into making a good horror video game? What are the components? You got to have suspense. You got to have nuance, unexpected elements, but also staying close enough to the classics that you don't overcomplicate the storyline. Okay, so you and I have watched a lot of YouTubers over the years play horror video games. And some are good, some not so much. And I want to know, what do you think would be the good components of making your own scary video game? So I want to run you by, first of all, my idea. So I know that a lot of YouTubers have made fun of all these dumb games over the years that are kind of just like, you know, walking simulators, they call them. You're walking through kind of a haunted place, nothing really happens, maybe a quick scare here and there, but it's not that good. So I was thinking to revolutionize the way that these horror video games go, what you could do instead is, okay, so you start out with these two guys, like they're doing kind of like an Urban X type thing, you know, the urban exploration videos on YouTube. They're going to maybe an old hospital or something like that, and everything's going fine. They're just there to take some pictures, maybe some videos, and things start to get kind of weird when they're inside the hospital. So instead, now instead of having a ghost pop out and scare them, you know, that whole trope over and over again how about they split up they're taking their photos one guy gets possessed and comes after the other guy that would be so freaking scary i feel like to have that in a video game would you play that would you think that'd be a good idea yeah yeah you don't seem that enthused by it though you don't seem like it's going to be like a a idea that i should actually pursue if i actually want to make a video game no i think it's a fine idea i would just like to see maybe a different background because the hospital is kind of overused i feel like it's kind of like a cheap scare you know like ooh, hospital scary okay let's rewind let's rewind i have a better idea i've got a better idea okay so i just think back to my old days um my old job uh working in a, a building at night where i was basically the only one in there and it was just a massive facility where i used to work so i would walk around the building it was, it was kind of eerie i'll say that I could walk around outside at night and there'd be some security guards out once in a while. They'd say hello if they'd see me. But you had that moment, that feeling walking around where anybody could pop out of anywhere at any given time and and scare you, right? And I remember it took me a long time to work up the confidence to walk around the actual building just because it was like, okay, I got used to my, my little office setting. And once I was used to that, I kind of walked around the area. You know, I'd go out to the kitchen, come back. But it was kind of dark and kind of creepy out there, so I didn't really venture around that much. But then I got more bold, and I'd, I'd walk around the building at night. And then, you know, towards the end of my time there, I'd actually, like, walk around outside to other buildings, which probably is not the greatest idea in the world, I'll tell you that right now. But, um, you know, I, I would do that. And I think it'd be really interesting to have kind of like a story about maybe someone, like, breaking in at night, trying to come after you or something like that. I think it'd be a really good idea for a game. Would, would you play that? I would actually, yeah, especially if it were like a company that produces something and maybe it's like a fanatic of that product Mm -hmm. that broke in and they just don't want you to, you know, turn them in or something goes awry. 
definitely like home invasion or like I guess in this case work invasion things like that I think those are fun and interesting and there's actually from what I've seen not a lot of like maybe like triple a or larger studio production versions of that the company that does most of the home invasions is puppet combo and they're more of like an indie developer and they do this really cool like 80s kind of graphical style it's supposed to look like retro old timey like slasher kind of yeah they definitely capitalize on that like slasher 80s kind of um horror which i think is interesting in and of itself like modern retro the Mm -hmm. idea of fusing modern and retro okay so just to pause on that idea real quick so um i've seen a couple youtubers out there play these these puppet combo games these are really really creative because just to kind of paint a picture for some of the listeners who might not actually know what these are so they could have a video game for example about you working in a convenience store at night and like you know someone comes to the store at night and tries to kill you something like that something really really weird that actually probably could happen, um, you know, if you're working in a really kind of creepy setting. So I thought that really kind of resonated well as a video game, and I think it'd be really interesting to see more ideas like that actually come out. And these games aren't like the best production quality per se, but they're, they're really enjoyable to play. Oh, I think that's on purpose. I think that's the point of it. Like, they want that that retro feel. And I think what they do successfully and what most successful scary things do is they tap into that visceral human fear right and we've all felt that where we're like alone in a place that we find unsettling or something creeps us out or we see or hear something that unsettles us makes you feel uncomfortable it's this almost indescribable feeling this like animalistic fear right the fight or flight is triggered and your senses become hyper aware and that adrenaline rush the uncomfortableness um something else they do is usually you play as a female character versus a male character and i think that's a very interesting and on purpose creative choice it's this idea of helplessness of a power struggle right so if you're up against a big like six foot tall male antagonist who's like 300 pounds and you're maybe just an average woman it's much different than if it were two like 300 pound guys with a bunch of military weapons like going at it. So, you know, there's this level of like, oh, I'm outpowered here. I have to outsmart or like this like power struggle. And I think what they really do successfully, at least from my understanding and my perspective, is they really tap into that visceral fear, particularly the idea of being a woman alone at night. And what that feels like. Because, you know, I walk to work really early in the morning before the sun comes up. And when I'm alone, it's dark out and I'm walking to work. There is this underlying sense of being just like slightly unsettled, right? Just slightly like on edge. And the worst fear, of course, is to have what happens in these scary games happen in real life. So by tapping into that, that fear, that feeling of powerlessness, the fear of the unknown essentially very 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 powerful stuff so i want to touch on that topic real quick because you know you do walk to work you do walk home at the end of the day so so tell me a little bit about what that's actually like um just leaving the building you know in the morning you know walking down the street getting to your office seeing what that's like out there just tell me a bit about what that's like for you yeah well 
I'm hyper aware of my surroundings. Like it's, you know, because like during the day sometimes maybe you you daydream. You're kind of like you're, you're walking through, you know, your mind's somewhere else. But whenever I'm walking alone in the dark, I am very, very aware of where I am in time and space and what is around me. I'm not daydreaming or dozing off or like just kind of coasting on autopilot, right? Like sometimes you do when you're taking a long walk, you kind of coast on autopilot. Um, You just kind of like experience the, you know, maybe it's windy, you'll look at the trees, you know, that kind of like it's a nice feeling, right? Mm-hmm. That's what kind of going on a nature walk feels like. It's very pleasant. You can kind of just like quiet the thinking brain down. It's, it can be a really meditative moment. But walking alone in the dark in a what is usually a busy, crowded area, it's a very different feeling. You feel very alone, but just also slightly unsettled. It's like, oh, this, you know, I'm just very aware of where I am and who's around me and what's going on. And if I am walking past an alleyway, I walk fast and I actually make sure I don't look down the alleyway because I find that the scariest thing or like the thing to me that is the scariest in my head is making eye contact. Cause then they're aware of you and you're aware of them. And usually, like, because, you know, we live in the, we live in a city, we live in the center of a big city. If you make eye contact with someone and they're in like a feisty mood, you've just invited them to like, you know, you, you saw them and they saw you. And from my experience that there's that moment of eye contact before they start making their way to you yelling something or before they start like getting closer to you, there's that moment of eye contact of like, they acknowledge you exist and you just acknowledge they exist. And that's, so to me, that's the scariest moment. That's like the moment your heart drops, the adrenaline starts running, you start feeling unsafe. So whenever I walk past an alleyway, I try not to make eye contact or look down it because usually, you know, when it's dark out in an alleyway, it's empty. There's usually no one. But sometimes there are people like hanging out in groups back there and you just don't, you just want to be like, okay, I'm minding my own business. I'm not in your business. You know, it's a safety thing. One thing that the Puppet Combo video game company does really well is they they make a lot of games about females walking home. It seems like that seems to be a very, very common theme that they like to go after. And, you know, I, I walk to school in the morning, you know, not in the greatest part of town. I will say that right now. And as I'm walking, I, I do see some rather interesting things that, you know, if I were in your shoes trying to go to work and even an earlier time, I, I would not want to have around me. Like I'm walking down the school the other day and like it seems like as I was passing these doorways going down the street, I saw multiple groups of people like in the doorway. They had little lighters out. They were had little tin foils and they were cooking something up. Probably you know, something I don't want to know about. I just don't want to know. I don't want to go there. But it's like that's the kind of thing that you're you're passing by in the city when you're trying to get somewhere. And I think that the video game company Puppet Combo kind of touches on that and the weird, creepy things you see where you're like, I- I'm out of here. Get me out. Put me back where I'm a bit more comfortable, right? Well, the worst thing is you don't want to like accidentally offend someone. And I find eye contact does that. Mm-hmm. When someone does – they don't want you in their business and that's fine. So my thing is just like, yeah, yeah, that idea of like – you don't want to make eye contact. You don't want to step on someone's toes on accident and become 
you know, become like the target for whatever. That's the thing. It's like, it's kind of like in the city, you know, people will be really cold. No one really looks at anyone or acknowledges each other's existence. And I think it's that whole mindset of like, I'm not in your business. Please stay out of mine. I'm just Mm -hmm. going to where I'm going. Okay, bye. That's kind of the, that's like the city culture, the city vibe when you're walking. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, being a man myself, like I, I, I don't really feel the same way that you do. I mean, most of the time I'm out, you know, I see stuff like that. I'm like, you know, I'm good. I'm just going to focus on getting to where I'm going. But um, I know that when you're vulnerable, that's not a, not something you want to be walking by. You, you want to avoid that at all costs. So I understand that completely. But I know that before we hopped on the podcast today, you were telling me about another idea you had that could really influence a game's um, kind of creepy factor. Tell me a bit about that and, and what you, what kind of influenced you to think this would be a good idea for a game. I'm kind of on the fence about it because I could see it being a good and bad idea. But I feel like, again, what makes a game successful is tapping into that visceral fear, mm-hmm. that innate human fear. The, the fear of losing one's life mm-hmm. is essentially what they're tapping into, right? The fear of death. We are all afraid to die on some instinctual level and it's tapping into that um that really is what makes or breaks something that is supposed to be scary right you you kind of want the audience to feel that feeling just even just slightly you know not to the point of terror where it's no longer fun no longer interesting but that that unsettledness that like chills down the spine the little bit of adrenaline people kind of enjoy that in a way it's like that fear of death mixed with the adrenaline rush, it makes you feel alive. Isn't that funny? Fearing dying is what makes you feel alive, in a sense. Well, it releases some cortisol, makes you makes you hot back into the moment. You know, you feel like you're present when you have that kind of feeling, right? Exactly. It's like, it's a pointed focus. You know, it's interesting. Because you could almost compare it to meditation. Hmm. Not to veer off the topic you want to originally talk about, but it definitely... Um, there's something about feeling your life being threatened that makes you feel very, very alive. You're very, very aware of how alive you are. Okay. So so parlaying that, so when it comes to actually making the game, that that starting that feeling in the person playing it, so what was your idea about how we could, you know, make that feeling come across in a way that would be, you know, realistic? Yes. Well, what I find interesting is a lot of games, although they will have like a female protagonist, it won't, it feels like it's not perhaps mainly written and directed by a female. So I would like the female perspective on a female like experience, right? And something that, you know, I've experienced working in customer service for a very long time and I've had coworkers experience is the uncomfortableness of you you doing your job so customer service being nice to a customer being mistaken for or taken advantage of as you being nice to a person in a way that is more casual if that makes sense so like the most common scenario is is a female woman working in customer service or someone who is female working in customer service being nice to someone of the opposite sex or gender um and them mistaking it for like oh this 
I have a chance at a romantic adventure with this person, you know? And so it's, it becomes very awkward because you can't be mean to them. That gets your job to be nice to them. You're just doing your job essentially, but they're like kind of saying stuff that might be inappropriate or saying things that are like slightly off-putting or like maybe even going as far as like asking you on a date. And that awkward moment of like, how do I navigate this in a way where I will get to keep my job, my livelihood, but also keep myself safe? Mm -hmm. And that is a very scary and uncomfortable place to be in because this person essentially as the customer has all the power. They complain to the boss. What do you do? If they write a bad review about the store, and the bot, you know, and drop your name in it, you know, what do you do if they, you know, there's, it's very uncomfortable because like the most common uncomfortable customer service scenario that they usually show is when someone's getting yelled at and it is not fun to be yelled at. I've been yelled at many times. It's not fun. It hurts your feelings. But at the end of the day, that has a very like calculated response, right? The workplace tells you how to deal with that. And that usually always ends with you escalating up to whoever your boss is. Mm -hmm. And the boss takes care of it. At, at a certain point, the boss steps in, right? But in this scenario, depending on your boss, you might not have backup. And it's a very uncomfortable situation because they're not being mean to you. So you feel like you can't be mean back. You need to keep your job. I mean... You got to keep food on the table. You got to keep a roof over your head. You know, you need to navigate. And the way you have to navigate this is incredibly uncomfortable. It's, it's probably the most uncomfortable I've ever been in customer service because it's like you just want it to end. You just want them to go away. But you can't let on to that because the consequences of a public rejection are just so unpleasant. Can we talk for a minute about what actually happened to you when you were working at a store? I'm not going to name the store, but uh, kind of what you went through with that with this person that came in one day. Yeah, so he was an older gentleman, and you know, at first I was just like, "Oh, he's just being nice, whatever." And it's my job to be nice back. It has nothing to do with with anything, but like, just imagine in your daily life, right? Would you just go up to strangers and be super, super, super friendly and like try to engage with them about random stuff? Probably not. But that's what you have to do in customer service, especially for small businesses, which is my specialty. So, I mean, you know, you go up, you engage with the people. Naturally, I'm a very introverted, shy person. I don't enjoy, you know, Meeting new people is hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Oh, yeah. It's it hard for everyone. Everyone wants to be liked. Everyone wants to be loved. Mm -hmm. It's it's stressful when you don't know and you can't get a read on someone. But anyway, I digress. So in customer service, you usually have a mask on or you're putting on a show. There, It's not your real personality. It's not who you really are as a human being. It's just your mode of survival. And it has nothing to do with the customer. If a customer is nice, that's like... It's heartwarming. It really is. That's my favorite part of customer service is when you meet a really nice person and it's it's fine. It's a great interaction. And but you know, usually it's universally understood that people in customer service are not fully being themselves. They're performing a character to do a job. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh that's, yeah. That's the nature of customer service. You're doing a job, you know. 
Um, but this gentleman, like, didn't understand that for some reason. But it was weird because, like, he would come in every once in a while and he would talk to me. But the, the conversation would get longer and longer and more personal and more personal. And I was starting to get uncomfortable. I was starting to be like, well, the, you know, this is not the nature of our relationship. It's creepy. Yeah. It's creepy. Yeah, like you're you're the customer. You're in a position of power. My job is to serve you, customer service. But I'm not, I'm not, you know, this isn't an actual relationship that will ever leave this store it will stay in its context forever mm-hmm. that is how it works mm-hmm. right? that is what it that is what mm-hmm. i signed up for <laughs> that's the very definition of your job right yeah my job is to be nice mm-hmm. to you and to make sure you get what you're looking mm-hmm. for and i'm happy to do that i like doing that cuz i like making people happy but i'm not me when i'm doing my job not fully mm-hmm. no one is you can't be you'd get so hurt when people are mean to you, you'd be shattered if you mm-hmm. were you, you know? No, you're you're performing a job. You're on a stage, you're performing. The stage is the store. You right. are performing your job. That's fair. That's fair enough. Um you're entertain you're entertaining people. Yeah. So so go through a bit about what actually happened the last day that you saw him and what what actually transpired, what you had to do to basically get yourself out of the scenario. Yeah. So like I said, over time stop by more and more frequently, conversations would get longer and longer, more personal. Each time I was kind of like, oh my God, please let this end. So then the final like conversation really um, was I was on my lunch break. Well, no, beforehand, he, this, this person had, you know, been like, oh, I'm stopping by a bakery later. Do you want me to get you something? And I was like, no, 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 thank you know, in the most polite way possible. No, thank you. Like, I really appreciate it. But, you know, I don't I didn't feel comfortable. What's an odd thing to ask? That's an odd thing to say. I didn't feel comfortable accepting gifts from a customer. It just in certain situations where they've like been your customer for like 10 years or like it's a super, super small business or like maybe. You know, you have a personal relationship outside of the job mm-hmm. anyway. Like, every scenario is different, right? But in this specific case, I did not feel comfortable with this. There was just something about it. it was my, rubbing you the wrong way. Yep. My gut mm-hmm. said, no, 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 no. So I'm like, that's okay. You don't have to. That's so out of your way. I don't want you to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, really, I'm fine. I brought lunch anyway, but I really appreciate it. That's how I navigated yeah. it. When what I really wanted to say was no. Get out of here. <laughs> no. It was no, God, please, no. I don't want to deal with this right yeah. now. But I'm, I'm uncomfortable and I want to like go home. <laughs> so he was persistent though. That wasn't the end of it. No. Well, so he's like, oh, no, it's okay. It's fine. And then he left. And the whole time I'm just praying. I'm like, please just go to the bakery. Enjoy your muffin. And like go on to do something else mm-hmm. you know have a good day but just like don't I'm, come back here don't yeah, come back yeah, here yeah please well my lunch rolls around mm-hmm. and i'm eating in the back room mm-hmm. he comes back mm-hmm. and my coworker tells him she's not here she's at lunch oh well can i see her <laughs> no she's not here she's at lunch like oh can i see her like no at the time like you and i 
had been dating for like four or five mm. years. So I really, really had no interest in this person. And mm. I'm not a naturally flirty person. I'm very shy, very awkward. So it's creepy that he's pushing this thing to begin with. I, again, probably mistook customer service for like a, a genuine connection, which mm-hmm. is like sad. Mm-hmm. And maybe I would have been more adapt to be this person's friend if it seemed like they just wanted to be my friend. But even then, it's like... If you are a customer who comes to the store I work at, like maybe over time we could become friends, but there will always be that power difference. You're the customer. I'm the customer service representative. I serve you. Mm -hmm. Right. And there was just this lack of – it just – you know when it feels like a genuine relationship and when it doesn't. And to me, it felt like the whole time he wanted – he just wanted something that I was never going to give him. So so bringing this back to the whole discussion we were having with the game. So um, a scenario like this could come up. Yeah. Where, you know, the person playing the character, playing the, the main protagonist role, whether that's the person, you know, playing the game or the person in the game, they're being kind of treated in this weird, creepy way. And you're just like, nope, I want no part of this. I'm getting out of here. Right. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to capture that trapped feeling of like, I need this job because I want to eat and I want to be able to have the lights on and I want a roof over Mm -hmm. my head. But also, I want this person to go away. And because they're being nice to me, because they're not being outwardly mean or outwardly creepy, because it's it's not malicious at its surface, right? Because it's not seen as malicious because I don't know that my boss would back me up. Mm. I don't know that powerlessness of how do I end this without offending Mm. this person, but also without having to, you know, it's very uncomfortable. It's like, I want this to end right now, but I don't feel like I have the power to end it. And this is a very, very common uh, situation that comes up in customer service, I feel like. We, we've known other people who have gone through this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yours was particularly, you know, not not pleasant. But, I mean, it's, it's been happening to people that you've known in the past, work with, you know, friends of yours as well. It's just a very, very common thing to have happen. So that's a, that's a great way. And I, I, I don't want to use the word great, but a very interesting way to kind of channel that into – you know, a, a fake world, a fake game where, you know, you're, you're dealing with something like that and it kind of turns into something scary. Well, that's the thing is because like pop culture, video games, media, TV, they have the power to spark actual conversations mm-hmm. about things that's happening and bring awareness to them. And the power of a video game is you get to be someone else, but it you're still experiencing the emotions that go with that. So it, it's a really good way you know, to start a conversation, but maybe to create some empathy, you know, and maybe bring awareness to the fact that a customer service representatives, as friendly as they are being, they're, I mean, I would say like 90% of the time, they're not being their, their full selves. There's still an element of I am performing a job. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there can't be strong and meaningful relationships built between customers and their customer service representatives. But I feel like when there's a power difference, it needs to be acknowledged. And the customer has all the power because at the end of the day, it's their money that pays for the store to stay in business. So there is this level of like 
employee and worker. So that power is there. And when it, and it is people who do work customer service jobs are put in a vulnerable spot because they can easily be abused. And we see that a lot with yelling and screaming, but we very rarely acknowledge the other side of the coin, right? Which is like subtle harassment is what I would call it. Cause like, I mean, I've had a coworker where Customers will come will come back with presents for us. And oh, that's unc- I that because you don't want. There's already that power difference, and then you feel like you can't reject the present, but you don't really want it. I think the weirdest one was like one of my coworkers. This customer had come back and brought them a homemade calendar, and that was just. I don't want to see the pictures <laughs> in that thing. I don't want to know what's in that thing. Well, it had to do with something that they had both talked about that they had both said they liked. But, I mean, it's like, (laughs) what do you do? Because the person, I'm sure, you want to believe that they have good intentions because you do want, you want people to like you. You want to have that human connection. But there's also this level of like, there's a level of autonomy that's missing when you're in that role. You can't say, no, I don't, I mean, I guess you could, but it's always a gamble. And most workplaces, I won't say all, you can't generalize like that. There's always nuance in these situations, right? Well, I know that one time I was sitting in my dentist office, right? So I was waiting to go in and there was this weird scenario playing out in front of me between the receptionist and this guy coming out. And the guy coming out, he was he was a lot younger than the receptionist, maybe like 18 years old. The receptionist was probably more like our age, 26. And he was trying to flirt with this receptionist and it would just not let it go. He was saying all this weird stuff. And you could tell she was she was not having this at all. She was like, I want this guy to get out of here. He's creeping me out. And the dude was talking about like eating chicken nuggets and some weird stuff like this. It wasn't even wasn't even like, you know, a good way of going about it. It was just weird and like you shouldn't you shouldn't say that to anybody. But um yeah, so that went on for like a good ten minutes and he would just would not leave. And finally, I think he finally got the hint that it was time to skedaddle. So he, he left and she was like, I am going on break in the back room. I am not going outside. And I, I, it happens all the time. So yes, you know, what you're saying is totally true, totally accurate in real life. And I'm just curious now about, how, so, so we're having this scenario play out. How does that transition into the actual horror aspect of the game? So, I mean, this is a horror story in itself, but like, so... Is, is the idea like, you know, this kind of thing happens and this person is kind of like stalking you? Is that kind of the thing? Yes. the I would think that something that would be very effective is capturing the slow escalation of it all because it always escalates. You never notice it when it first starts, mm-hmm. usually, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like things are a little weird. You're kind of like, well, you, maybe you get Something's a little... Something's off uns- here. Yeah, a little unsettled feeling. And I just, the slow build of that escalation of like, this person's hanging around too much to, I don't really know what's going on, to something is very wrong here, to the panic of like, oh my gosh, this person is not going to leave. This person wants, this person has, is trying to dig their way into my life, whether I like it or not. And that power struggle, the powerlessness of it all, the vulnerability and the fact that a lot of times, unfortunately, there's huge gaps in the law. The mm-hmm. law really can't help you unless there's concrete evidence. A lot of people have a lot of trouble proving that someone is stalking them. And so the point of the game and the message would be, you know, A, be aware that, you know, 
for your loved one's sake, you know, people close to you, but also to maybe start a conversation on why these things are happen, like on a bigger, like cultural scale, like what is causing this? Because it, it has to do with so many different factors. There are so many different factors going on. It's such a complex thing. And I think maybe something like a scary game or a scary, like media can have the power to, to start conversation or to bring awareness to things that, you know, that's what documentaries seek to do, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different ways you can express an idea or maybe like bring attention to a concept. And it would be really cool if the game were made and it like donated to like help, help and health centers, primarily for maybe like women or groups of people who have historically been underprivileged. Well, I think that actually plays into what I was talking to you about too, you know, with the whole, um, like, let's say kind of my, my experience working in the creepy office, right? Because I mean, I, I've worked in jobs where like, you know, you had maybe people calling in like at the radio station, for example, where I used to work, where they might not be fully there, you know, they would say some rather creepy things and, you know, you usually hang up, go about your day, nothing happens, right? And then I also worked at the place where, you know, it was also kind of a high stakes job where you'd have you know, people who obviously were not happy with you and they'd want to, you know, come to the, the office. They would want to complain. And that's just not something that you could allow because people like that, you just can't have that. Right. So I think exactly what you're saying really does play into that. It, it'd be a great way to kind of, you know, start that ball rolling if you're going to tell a story like that, you know. Exactly. Well, because, I mean, every story created by the human mind has at least some level of a truth to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like nothing comes from nowhere. Nothing comes from nowhere. Everything everything that we think of is related to something in reality, something in life, right? An experience, a memory, a nightmare, etc. So I always find it very interesting. And when I consume media and I look at it through that perspective, like this came this came from another human's mind, another human had life experiences that brought them up to like to this point mm -hmm. right just so that this is something that they've created for whatever reason good or bad right it just makes everything more interesting it's just you know and and thoughtfulness i think understanding nuance and thoughtfulness and i'd love to ha i love when scary things in particular have that nuance and thoughtfulness something where at the end of it you're like oh wow i wow you know i'm blown away this had given me a new perspective or this really like made me aware of something or made me think about something in a new light. That's always, that's the goal, right? Yeah, I could see that. This is why you and I have to become game developers just so we can, <laughs> you know, make this stuff for ourselves. Tell I, a story, right? I admire game developers so much. I could not. I look at code and I go, nope, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, you know, I tried to learn coding, coding for a while and that stuff is impossible to learn. Like, I had to admit to myself, it, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. You have to, there. Ha, there's a certain, like, thought process that I just don't have either. So you're you're fine. I admire it. It's hard work. I, I couldn't do it. And I always think it's cool. So, you know. And Carly, we are a bit pressed for time today. But I do want to get to one other topic that I was thinking about past couple of days. So I, I was reading online a bit about public washrooms. I know you're rolling your eyes right now, but so there's been, you know, a lot of cases, um, especially, you know, in the United States where a lot of public bathrooms that have been open to people, you know, just kind of city washrooms, for example, have been closed down because of crime, 
Um, things like that happening inside. This is very common with that new Portland Loo, which had been installed in a lot of cities where it's been kind of a, a place for people to use it. But, um, you know, unfortunately, um, they've attracted a lot of crime on the streets, things like that. But I want to ask you, so what is the worst washroom you've ever been in in your entire life that you just, you cannot even imagine telling somebody what it's like inside? Why are you so obsessed with washrooms? Okay, I'll tell you why. I, I will tell you why. So this happened, you and I and my mom, actually, we were, we were walking through the city one day and we were at kind of a famous beach here in town. So, you know, you'd expect very clean washrooms. I mean, the park is so lovely. And I went to use the washroom there by the beach and it was an absolutely horrific experience being inside that washroom. Like, I don't know what they'd have to do to clean it, but like if I were in charge, you'd have to bring on, bring in a full on like power washer and clean that entire thing. It, it was that bad. So it just goes to show like, you know, city washrooms just are kind of this, this thing you don't want to have to use anymore. And you can tell why a lot of, you know, businesses that operate, especially like small businesses in the city, they, they close down their washroom to employees only for that reason, because they don't want to have people back there doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, right? Well, being the person who used to clean the public washrooms mm-hmm. in all my jobs, I still clean the public washroom. It's not that public anymore. Um, but... It is a lot of hard work, and you do have to take an employee off the floor to clean it. So, like, I understand that. The worst one I have ever been in is one I've had to clean Mm -hmm. where this customer had, like, smeared feces all over the bathroom, and I had to clean it. And I remember, like, my little gloves and my little mask crying and cleaning the bathroom and just being like, oh, no. I I was pretty young at the time, just being like, this is the worst. And this is why this is why I actually understand why why small companies and businesses close down their washrooms to to outsiders using them because you get people who come in there and and, and do these things and I, I don't know why they do it but they do. It's oh in in the industry it's known as the not my house mm-hmm. mentality you know it's not my house so I'm not it, I don't care what happens to it I'm just gonna do with mm-hmm. it you know oh I don't have to clean it and I just think it's like. You know, just not really thinking about it empathetically, not thinking about the person who has to clean it, or maybe not even having the capacity to do that at the moment. Maybe there's other things going on in the person's life that make it so that they don't, they can't even think that far ahead. You know, you never know what's going on. Anything public, you know, you just get so many different kinds of people and it probably sees a lot of heavy traffic. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's just so complicated And there's like, I feel like there is no real right or wrong answer because you don't want people like going potty on their side of the road, but you also don't want, you know, you don't want to clean up after someone when they've smeared a bunch of poo all over the, the stall. So I, I, you know, you could go in circles forever, making every argument in the book for or against, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, I just think, you know what? Stop talking about potties, Warren. <laughs> That's well, what I think. That's my opinion. Okay, okay. But I just want to point out that a lot of stuff has been done, you know, as of late to try to, you know, make this better for people like you who have to go in there and clean it. Like, I know, for example, I mean, a lot of places have put in like the blue lights, you know, that, that kind of stop people from going in there and using it for doing drugs, things like that. So that kind of helps out a little bit. So, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to take to fully make this, you know, a little easier for people like you who have to go in there and deal with this. But, uh, you know, hopefully things like that help out a little bit. And, you know, the idea behind the whole Portland Lou was that 
it was supposed to be easier to clean because it's just kind of like a, a toilet in a cage almost. Like, you know, rainwater can kind of wash the ground below it. It's, it doesn't, it's not like an actual, like, standalone washroom. It's just kind of like a toilet in the ground with, like, a cage around it that you can't see into. So it's supposed to be this device that, you know, kind of helps keep it, you know, somewhat clean. The, the city employees don't have to do a whole lot, but, you know, it sounds like there's still issues with that. So, you know, hopefully that becomes a, a non-issue someday, but we'll see, right? Yeah. I think like any issue, it's it's complicated. There's a lot, a lot going on. It's never just one thing. It's always a bunch of things, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so hard to form a concrete opinion on because, again, you could go around in circles on both ends. Like people do need public restrooms, especially people who don't have access to private restrooms. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, yeah, what about the people who have to clean them and someone makes a mess of it. Like what happens then? And being the person who's had to clean a public washroom for a very long time, there are some times where people just really mess it up and it's, it's the worst. It's not fun. Um, especially when you're young. Like I think I had to clean my first public toilet when I was like, mm, maybe 18, 19. Yeah. Not fun. But <sighs> That, you know, you could also argue that that's an issue with customer service jobs in general. I mean, you can make so many different arguments from so many different angles, so many different perspectives. But all I say to that is I will keep cleaning washrooms because I think washrooms should be clean and you need to stop obsessing over it. <laughs> well, that's all the time we got today anyway, so I'll leave it there. Maybe we'll bring this back up next time. Well, you'll probably roll your eyes if I do. But yeah, please don't. <laughs> please stop the toilet talk. <laughs> That's all we got today here on the Warren and Carly podcast, the weekly world podcast. We will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.